0: Hey everyone, this is Tom. Before we start this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly podcast, I need to let you know we're having our Device Talks meetings this fall. It's not going to be an in person event, it's going to be our Device Talks Tuesdays program. Yes, this is just like our Device Talks meetings. We're going to have conversations about starting companies, raising capital, developing new essential devices, finding more effective ways to manufacture those devices and distribute them, navigate the changing regulatory and reimbursement pathways and identify the next new hot tech. We're going to cover it all. All you need to do, you don't have to travel anywhere, no hotels, no airports, of course. You just have to go on to devicetalks.com. We're going to have each session up there for you. You can see what we're working on through September, but we're going to carry you all the way through the holidays and into the new year. Device Talks Tuesdays, it's a great way to continue to gather. We still need to talk. We still need to share ideas. We still need to hear from each other, and you're going to be able to do that on Device Talks Tuesdays. So go to Device talks.com. We have a great lineup of partners and sponsors are going to be putting together great content for you. So again, go to devicetalks.com to register for our Device Talks Tuesdays program. Now, let's get into this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to this episode of Device Talks Weekly. No Chris Newmarker this week, but I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be joined by my colleagues, Danielle Kirsch, Senior Editor of Mass Device, and Sean Hooley, the first timer to the podcast, is our Assistant Editor. Sean and Danielle, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. So let's just uh, take a second to uh, let folks know who you are and what you covered. Danielle, how long have you been here at Mass Device? You're certainly here, uh, actually, you both were here before before me, but I think, Danielle, you've, you've been here first.
1: Yeah, I've been around since December 2016. I've just been working on everything medical device related.
0: Excellent. Do you have any uh, specific areas you enjoy covering the most? or
1: Probably Big 100 and Women in MedTech are my two big uh, special projects that I enjoy working on.
0: And we'll be talking about women in medtech in a moment. That's a great project. And Sean, how about yourself? You uh, you came on board, I think, just before I did. Yeah, I uh,
2: technically became full time in November, but it's been just over a year since I joined on. And uh, mostly, I do the feeds, all the news releases, and uh, little, little bits and pieces from everywhere for for Mass Device, and then the other sites, uh, MDO, and the drug delivery and drug discovery, a little bit of everything.
0: Excellent. Well, it's great to uh, have you both on here. So, why don't we start off, uh, Danielle, with just talking a little bit about the Women in MedTech project? Uh, what is it, and when will we see it? And we can sort of get into how people can can participate in it going forward. But what is it? What is the Women in MedTech uh, uh, feature?
1: Women in MedTech started from an idea that I had when I said, uh, "There's a lot going on in MedTech. I wonder. I wonder what women in MedTech think about." something that was going on. And uh, from there, it's evolved into a magazine where I get the chance to talk to different company founders, CEOs, startup presidents, and find out what innovations they're currently working on, what they have in the pipeline, what they think about the future of medtech and things like that.
0: So how many of of these have you done so far?
1: We are currently on our third year.
0: That's excellent. And I love the distinction. I think we talked about this earlier in a a staff call, just uh, that you really focus more or at least as much on the work that the women are doing in medtech as opposed to the the people themselves. Is that right?
1: That's correct. It's it's mostly just about what what projects they're working on instead of being like, look at all these women in the industry. Instead, it's look at this innovation that's happening. And oh, by the way, it's being run by women.
0: That's great. Yep, that's that's the way it should be covered. So that's fantastic. So where are we in, uh, where are you in putting that together? I know we're gonna, all going to help out eventually, but uh, where are you and what can folks do if they have someone they know who we should be talking to for uh, for this feature?
1: Yeah, uh, so right now we are currently looking at as I mentioned before, founders and CEOs of small companies to talk to to find out about their innovations. But um, we also look to some of the bigger companies just to give like an honorable mention to some of the engineers or any of the women that are working in some of the C-suite level positions at the big med tech companies.
0: Excellent. So do you accept nominations through some process, through email? What's the best way of uh, people out there... uh reaching out to you?
1: I wouldn't say it's nomination-based. I would say more so we're always looking for somebody that we can talk to. We always want to know about what new is happening and who are, is running these companies.
0: That's a great question. No, and that's excellent. So what is the best way for uh, for folks to, to reach you?
1: Probably email or LinkedIn. Those are my two main areas where you can... Get a hold of me easiest.
0: And your email address is uh, dkirsch at wtwhmedia.com? That's correct. It'll tell us how we spell Kirsch because I spelled it wrong last time you were on the podcast.
1: K I R S H, no C.
0: Cardinal Sinus. Misspelling a fellow journalist's name, which is terrible. Terrible. So uh, that's great. Yeah, we're going to have that. Now that'll publish in which, where will that be published? And we have a couple of other things we'll be doing differently this year, but where will that be published initially?
1: It publishes uh, with medical design and outsourcing in November.
0: And we're planning to do a podcast based around that as well. And also, our November third Device Talks Tuesdays will be uh, dedicated to the future. So I hope we'll have a number of uh, stories, great stories to tell on that event. And folks can can register for that at uh, DeviceTalks.com. We'll get some information about that shortly. So, excellent. Well, uh, I know we're all going to be helping out on the project, and uh, I think it's great. Uh, great that you put this put this together, Danielle. Thanks. Uh, thanks for doing that. Yeah. Thanks. Excellent. Well, we're going to uh, now move into the what had just been named Newmarker's Newsmakers feature. But of course, then Chris Newmarker leaves us high and dry and decides to take a day off. So, but I'm happy to have uh, Sean Hooley here to uh, to deliver the, uh, the top five news items of the week. We're going to do as we normally do. We'll hit numbers five and four, take a break for our first interview, which will be with uh, Kayla Crum of Truer Securities. We'll break down Medtronic's uh, recent quarterly call. And then we'll hit numbers three and two. And uh, then I'll run the interview I did with Juan Pablo Mas of Action Potential Venture Capital. They invented, invested in a very cool company called Echo, but we'll talk more about that. Juan Pablo has had some uh, unfortunate contacts with the wildfires in California. We'll hit upon that and also talk about another important project he's working on, which is called Latinx VC. So, and then of course, after that, we'll uh, hit upon number one. I have a... I have an idea of what number 1 will be. It came up today and it's and it's pretty big news. So, Sean Woolley, do you need a, a cute little name for this? Woolley's Wonders or Woolley's Winners or anything like that or are you good with New Marcus Newsmakers? I can leave it uh under Chris's name, I don't think. You could be in a hashtag, my friend. This is uh this is big time. I'll I'll leave it. <laughs> so, what is uh what is number 5 on uh, our our top 5 list? We'll go go back to that for for this episode.
2: Number 5 is a good segue for uh coming interview, but it's Medtronic's faster than expected recovery during its first quarter of the fiscal year. The story was that uh, as CEO Jeff Martha said they saw improvement from the previous quarter and the results reflect a quote faster than expected recovery from the depths of the pandemic which they saw back in April they are still trading up they were trading up at the time uh, over two and a half percent and they obviously uh, people are impressed by what they saw this past quarter with Medtronic
0: yeah no it was, a, it was a very cool call they did it on video and I'll talk about 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 that a little bit on the interview but Chris Newmarker, even even when he's taking time off is working harder than any man and show business. He put together a feature that's up on the web, seven technologies to make new Medtronic even more powerful. And he's got a very imposing throne there with an M on it. So uh, we'll uh, link to that on the show notes and make sure you see that on, on social media. But uh, he did a good job breaking down the call as well. So, so that is number five. I'm, uh, I, it's such a great lead into the interview. I'm tempted to go into it, but let's stick to the format. What is our fourth fourth most, our fourth largest newsmaker of the week, Sean Houli.
2: Number four was that the FDA clears uh, Pelvitals, pelvic floor device. It's, a, it's called the Flight device for treating stress urinary incontinence. Um, it's touted as first of its kind non-invasive intravaginal home use device designed to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles, helping with stress urinary incontinence. It's, the company said it's the only product to use an expanding area of treatment called mechanotherapy. To treat the pelvic floor muscle weakness. So, evidently, people are very interested in uh, a device that's clearly, as they say, first of its kind.
0: Okay, well, that's a great story. Another important win for uh, women's health, and something else we saw this week was uh, Hologic's acquisition of uh, Assessa Health for uh, for eighty million dollars. Another another win for the uh, for women's health in medtech.
1: Yeah, And another win for women in medtech. Since Assessa Health's co-founder is Kim Rodriguez, also she's also their president and CEO. So,
0: great point. All right, well, a triple win then. So that's a uh, that's a good one. So, all right, well, now we'll get back into uh, our conversation about Medtronic. I spoke with Kayla Crum. She's managing director of Truist Securities and she'll walk us through Medtronic's quarterly call. But first, a message. Hey folks, Tom again. Before we get into this interview with Kayla Crum of Truist Securities, just wanted to let you know that Device Talks Tuesdays begins on September 8th. We have Isaac Rowe, the CFO of Thrive Earlier Detection. He was in the podcast a few weeks ago. And I'm happy to have Karen Long of KCK Group, on the panel as well they're going to be talking about raising money during these zoom times not only raising money but really how to help move your startups forward during these times so this is a discussion brought to you by finnegan it's going to be a great great conversation helpful to you and another way that we can bring you insights and information on device Talks. so go to devicetalks.com to register kayla crum welcome to the podcast thanks
3: for having me
0: so we're here to talk about Medtronic's quarterly call. First question is a simple one. What would you think of, uh, of the video, uh, Jeff Martha, up there? I think it worked.
3: Uh, <laughs> I, uh, great question. It was, uh, it was. I thought it was great. And I, I hope that more companies decide to take that approach. It's nice to, to actually see a person in person.
0: Good point. Give them credit for, for trying because videos are uh, a lot more are difficult than, than just uh, being on audio in your, in your sweatpants and t-shirt, although I'm sure they wear ties on their quarterly calls, no doubt. Exactly. So the first actual question I have is just, uh, I was kind of, there was almost a change in tone from previous calls. Not that I've listened to a lot of the quarterly calls, but. Uh, it just seemed that there is a, a new energy in a new direction from Medtronic, which is which is really saying something. And Jeff Martha kind of had almost an an evangelistic feel to it. Like I felt like he should have been up there and with wearing a black Steve Jobs turtleneck as opposed to the suit and tie he was wearing. Uh, were you? Was this something that had been telegraphed? This sort of we're going to make some changes at Medtronic, or did this come as a surprise to folks who are watching the company?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say that, I mean, the, the historical bear thesis on, on Medtronic is just that, you know, they're they're really too big to grow. Um, but, yeah. but we do think that that's changing. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Jeff Martha is now in place, he's kind of hitting his stride, you know, with new leadership in place. And in the midst of, of this meaningful new product cycle, you know, this is this is also a company that's you know, willing, able to, to invest now in order to drive sustained improvements in revenue growth. Um, and, and all of that should be, uh, um, has been well received by, by investors.
0: And there was some discussion that you kind of came out of the gate talking about market share, which is something that uh, he indicated that is not something they focus on. What does that say to you that they're, that again, they're looking to grow? I mean, was it really that significant a departure from the way they've handled calls in the past?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, the company has always done a nice job developing new markets, but now it's more about holding on to market share and growing market share in these categories. Um, and I think that, you know, you look at, at a lot of these other smaller, more nimble players in in the places, in the areas where they compete. And and now Medtronic is kind of required to act more and innovate more as a smaller, more nimble company would. And I think that Jeff had mentioned on the call, he made the comment go bigger or go home. And I, I think that's what you're going to see. Um, you know, I think they're going to go big, get bigger, and and again, just drive sustained growth in, in their business.
0: Yeah, no, I, I actually have that on my notes as well. I wanted to bring that up and uh, I will in a moment, but going back to your nimble point, uh, that uh, that's a great one. And he had actually said, look, we're competing against a lot of focused, smaller companies, not just here, but in China and other places around the world. As constructed, Medtronic's doing pretty well. <laughs> Does it really need to to, to to slim down and, and, and to become nimble to 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 find that growth? Or is that just sort of a new CEO coming in and trying to put his or her stamp on things?
3: Yeah, I think that I mean again, Medtronic is kind of, you know, they've always focused on, on scale. And so I think that there has been this this sort of renewed focus on market share and and growth. And and you know, you hear them highlight now several new recent product launches, 130, you know, plus approvals year to date. Um, I think all of that that Tells you that you know they're going to continue to to invest to drive sort of these smaller tuck-in deals, and and eventually you know over time they'll they'll do some other sort of bigger deals. But I think there will be this uh, this focus on really you know driving the pipeline and, and growing uh, um, the share gain across their business.
0: That's great. Talking about go big or go home, I think that was in reference to a question about the robotics program that Jeff Martha said. Look, we, there's an established leader, a competitor in the space. We know that, but we're going to really make uh, an effort to, uh, to become a or the leader in the space. And it seemed to carry over to, to the diabetes business as well, which has had its, its share of, uh, difficulties. Do you, how, now my question, how big of Medtronic's future do you see tied to robotics and diabetes? Because those, I don't know, they seem almost like also ran sort of businesses within Medtronic until recently.
3: Yeah. I mean, you look at at a company that's doing, you know, 30 billion about in, in annual sales, and it's tough to point to one or two products that could really move the needle for them. And so, you know, we look at, at soft tissue robotics and and, and the opportunity, the potential there and think, you know, this could be a single product that, that could move the needle for them. And that's something, you know, renal generation we, we've talked quite a bit about is, uh, is also a, a big area. It's obviously early, both of these are early. Um, but, but again, you know, the, this focus, renewed focus on, on innovation, um, I think is what's really important.
0: I was covering Ardian when it was still a startup, so I'm definitely rooting for the Reynolds Innovation business to, to become something. It's a great story. But uh, focusing, uh, they talked also about R&D. They made the interesting deal with Blackstone to, to invest resources in, in its diabetes business. But beyond that, they, they said, they, uh, Jeff said, we really want to get some more R&D capability here. Spoke specifically to robot, uh, robotics, RTG, uh, deep brain stimulation. And diabetes, as I mentioned, do, do you see a, a an increase in resources going to R&D or are they sort of staying the course there?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, especially at a time, and it's interesting, you know, at a time where I think a lot of companies right now are sort of forced to pull back on spending, Medtronic has been in a position where it can flex its balance sheet. And and so it talks about, you know, they've been talking about sort of investing in the pipeline, investing in, you know, structural, operational, and cultural changes. And... And I think all of that combined should support you know their their growth goals over the next you know quarters and and, and years um to, to come
0: and finally m a uh, he talked about the focus being on tuck-ins and their tuck-ins get up to billions of dollars so those that's a lot of tuck do you do you see M&A being, there, being a being their being an acquisitive company for the rest of 2020 and going into 2021
3: so we do and you know we expect there to be a continuation of of these you know more sizable tuck-in type deals i think that you know, what we've seen be a really successful strategy, you know, at, at, at other companies as well is to to layer on these kind of growthier businesses into uh, the core infrastructure of, the, of a Medtronic. And so, you know, we've seen them do a couple deals like Companion, you know, th- there's there's been a handful of, of recent deals, again, during a time where a lot of other companies are, are not investing in, in their business. Um, and I, I do expect that will that'll continue in the second part of this year into next.
0: Terrific. Yeah. And the final question about Medtronic again, interesting comment from Jeff Martha that Medtronic wants to put the tech into medtech, and he talks specifically about AI and building out technology functionality. Uh, that's been an area that they've focused on, but they talked a lot about that during the call as well. What did that uh, say to you?
3: I think we're going to see more and more of this, you know, kind of combination between healthcare and and technology. And that's something that, you know, Medtronic has always, again, been very good at at building new markets. Um, And now it's more, again, about just maintaining that market share, growing market share. And I expect that uh, through that combination of, of tech and healthcare, they're going to continue to be very successful in the space.
0: Terrific. Final question just about Medtronic really kind of wraps up the, the quarterly call season, I think. You've sat in on many of these calls. Uh, we're seeing some better results, uh, better performances from companies as they emerge from COVID spring. But uh, what are some of the, the larger takeaways uh, that we can uh, look at in the, in the medtech industry? What, what are maybe two or three points that, that you found interesting from all the calls you've sat in on?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing encouraging signs of, of recovery across Geographies and even you know Medtronic is sort of the latest positive data point, but you know they're saying even into August, you know we're seeing a, uh, a continuation of, of the recovery here. So you know I think that it's it's still there are still a lot of unknowns. Um, a lot of companies are, are still holding back on guidance. They don't want to provide guidance yet, and that makes sense. Again, there's things that we just don't know in the second part of this year. But I, I think that the interest in Medtech more broadly is still largely there. And, you know, you think about just MedTech in the middle of, of, you know, an election year, when in reality, this has kind of been more of a COVID year than an election year. But, you know, I think that that MedTech tends to be viewed as sort of part of the solution. And so, you know, even through, through the second part of this year, I expect that our sector will continue to continue to do well going forward.
0: That's great. All right. Well, great insights on Medtronic and the, and the industry as a whole. Kayla Crumb of true Securities, thanks for joining. Us on the podcast.
3: Of course. Thank you.
0: Okay, I'm back here with uh, Sean Hooley, assistant editor of Mass Device, and Daniel Kirsch, senior editor of Mass Device. And uh, we're talking about our top five newsmakers of the week. Sean, we've already hit numbers five and four. Lay number three on us. What is it?
2: Number three is iRhythm closing a $220 million offering, uh, public offering, which the proceeds it plans to put towards it said fund and growth growth initiatives as well as working capital and other general corporate purposes uh, the company develops artificial intelligence based screening diagnosis and management technology for atrial fibrillation or afib uh, which is obviously a pretty big deal it's kind of the precursor for stroke uh, so it's people are obviously interested in reading about the company getting Quite a bit of money, especially in these times, uh, for their stroke prevention technology. Absolutely,
0: yeah, and that's a, that's a digital tech company that was kind of ahead of its time with the IPO. And it's just interesting with Medtronic talking about their focus on tech, and Jeff Martha saying he wanted to put wants to put the tech into med tech. It'll be interesting to see uh, just where iRhythm sort of ends up uh, in the future if it. Uh, how it builds out its its franchise and works more closely, I guess, with some, some other medical device companies. So, great one. And uh, what is our number two biggest news story of the week?
2: Number two, Fast Company Magazine had a list of best workplaces for innovators. And among them was Boston Scientific and Abbott. Boston Scientific actually ranked in the top 10, I believe. It was uh, number five. And Abbott was number 12 on the list of 100 companies. Um, and they were Kind of the only two representatives for med tech, both in the top twenty. Over eight, the magazine said over eight hundred and fifty companies applied across more than twenty four countries around the world for a place in the rankings. So for Boston Scientific and Abbott, that's pretty good, I guess, indication of what kind of innovations they've got going on over there.
0: All right, well, that's great for those two companies. I guess I thought we would have found more med techs on the list. We've always, uh, I've always seen this as an innovation friendly industry, but uh, I'm sure, it's all politics. That's how they come up with these. Uh, with these names, but uh, let's get into uh, another innovation story. I spoke, as I mentioned up top, with Juan Pablo Mas. He is a, a partner at Action Potential Venture Capital, which is a corporate venture arm for uh, GSK. And we'll talk a bit about lots of things about what Action Potential does, about their recent investment in Echo, and about uh, work that uh, Juan Pablo Mas has done to help others find their way into the venture capital industry. Juan Pablo Mas, welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you, Tom. Very happy to be here.
0: Now, there's lots to talk about. You have been uh, directly impacted by the fires out there in California. What uh, what has your life been like la- the last couple of days?
4: Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's been a ride, um, a scary one. And uh, thankfully, we're in a better place now. Personally speaking, we're, we were evacuated due to the Santa Cruz County fires that have been uh, raging here the last week. You know, Thankfully, our family got out there with sufficient time and, and warning and fingers crossed, um, hope to be back to our home and town and, and uh, regular life in the next week or so.
0: Well, that's good to hear. We'll certainly hope for that. Let's talk a little bit about your, your group action, Potential Venture Capital. I know when we talked previously, you were heavily focused on bioelectronic medicine. I also know there's been push into digital health as well. So what are your origins? What are you investing in? What are your uh, areas of interest?
4: Absolutely. I know it has um, been an an interesting uh, evolution. So the company, you know, is uh, uh, GlaxoSmithKline started SR1 some 35 years ago to do biopharmaceutical venture capital. And in 20 13, uh, Action Potential Ventures was formed as the second venture capital arm of GSK um, with a focus on specifically bioelectronic medicines or next generation neuromodulation you know, aimed at trying to develop therapies that you know had advantages and, and competed with traditional drug standard of care across a variety of chronic diseases and doing so via the, the, the nervous system and the, and the ability to modulate organ function in chronic diseases in a very targeted, safe fashion. So neuromodulation is nothing new to the medical device uh, community. Naturally, its roots run deep in medical devices, you know, from pacemaking uh, and, and defibrillators to DBS for movement disorders and other conditions. And so uh, what GSK wanted to do was to help foster and lead the innovation into uh, miniaturized neuromodulation and bioelectronic medicines that could actually treat a much broader swath of patients across a variety of conditions in a way that uh, traditional drugs had not been uh, perhaps perhaps well, uh, you know, accustomed to doing in part due to the systemic exposure uh, of those drugs to the body that leads to challenges and side effects and, and the therapeutic window issues that drugs uh, often have when, when not particularly targeted. So, if that was the onus for creating an internal group at GSK to develop by electronic medicines, which has now spun out to form a new co uh, joint venture with Alphabets Verily, a new co called Galvani. And our fund has continued to has remained under GSK, we invest off of the balance sheet, we invest for financial returns, um, and operate uh, much more like a traditional venture capital fund, although we are evergreen in nature and and do have a strategic remit. And in terms of that, strategic area of interest uh, historically it's been very much uh, focused on peripheral nervous system and therapeutic direct nerve stimulation when i joined that was the the focus since i've joined in 2014 you know, and working with GSK, we've broadened that some to include sort of the entire nervous system, including the the central nervous system, the brain, the, the, the spinal cord, you know, we've done investments in companies like Cal Health that are transcutaneous or non-invasive uh, devices, we've begun to look at uh enabling platform technologies that essentially open up a variety of new forms of delivering energy into the body. and, and so even increasingly not even limited to electrical energy, but also as ultrasound uses acoustic energy um, as electromagnetic, Energy delivered to, to to affect cell function in a variety of conditions, non-invasively, uh, and even you know with uh, select investments in in companies that will denervate or essentially do blocking of a of a neural circuit permanently or temporarily, reversibly. Um, so, really, our focus is targeted uh, and precision energy as a medicine, which is an expansion of uh, what we have historically our roots have been. By and large, we view those as bioelectronic electronic medicines, um, and and hence that's still the focus of, of of the fund.
0: Well, that's interesting because let's talk about Echo now because Echo doesn't wouldn't seem at least to me on the surface uh, fit into sort of the bioelectronic medicine angle. It's more of a it's a medical imaging device, and you can get into the, the particulars in a moment. So, tell us how you you came to to know of Echo and uh, tell us a little bit about the company.
4: Yeah, so Echo, we're very excited about. Uh, we learned about the company through a co-investor of ours uh, at Cala Health. Uh, director there, Ted Katuzis who is an emergency room physician at Northwestern uh, Hospital in Chicago, is also an, an investor with Magnetar Capital. They have affiliate funds called Fiscus and Reimagined Ventures that deploy capital into medical devices across other healthcare areas. So, Uh, Ted pulled us uh, into the conversation when Echo was looking to consider bringing on an additional sort of a Series B plus round to uh, facilitate, you know, manufacturing and operations ramp up and anticipation of a commercial launch. Um, And, you know, Ted knew that we had uh, an interest in neuromodulation in delivering energy into the body. Obviously, you know the, the by and large, the, the predominant usage of ultrasound uh, today in, in medical practices is, is diagnostic and imaging, and certainly that's ECHO's focus for the time being. But we too at Action Potentials have seen a dramatic ri- rise in innovation and interesting new therapeutic modalities and, and applications using ultrasound outside of the body to um, you know, either stimulate a nerve safely, and and oftentimes even at depth in the body, stimulate whole organ function. Be involved in improving drug delivery and and its ability to be targeted and timely. You know, with that theme that we are seeing energy as a medicine, we really dug into echoes of potential in this category, because what's limiting from an ultrasound perspective is, in fact, the the quality of image and the power and and depth at which ultrasound can reach inside the body to perform any of these therapeutic uh, functions that I'm mentioning. So, that's when we really Saw differentiation in Echo's t- proprietary chip-based uh, PMUT technology or piezoelectric micro-machined ultrasound technology um, from anything else we had seen uh, in the market, um, and so for our investment in Echo is driven uh, at its core by their uh, ability to really reinvent and and establish a new technology for point-of-care handheld ultrasound in the diagnostic capacity along with their cloud-based system that integrates into hospital uh, enterprise software and, and medical records and billing and, and, and so forth. But behind that, we have seen huge potential. And it's in that same technology's ability to deliver bioelectronic medicines non-invasively to targets in the body for a variety of medical conditions and as a platform technology for other interventional medical devices uh, which we can maybe get into uh, as we continue talking. But that's that, that technology platform really is what attracted us. And so we co-led the Series B Plus with Fiscus and Reimagined Ventures and brought in additional invest, investors like TDK Ventures and Solasta Ventures uh, and a handful of others. So that's that's kind of the, the background as to how we found the company and, and got to know them all, over the course of the, of the last few months.
0: Yeah, I guess I didn't read the release all the way through, but uh, I wasn't aware of the uh, the fact that it could be used to deliver therapies as well. It sounded strictly more of a of an imaging play, a portable imaging play, which we're seeing a lot of. So uh, I thought I thought the talk of the apps and sort of the data collection too was was particularly interesting. Also, but uh, so how much? of the company's future do you think will fall under that bioelectronic umbrella? Is this, you think, a a big part of the company's future or is it it more of a potential application at this point?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think um, not surprisingly from a venture capitalist and board member's perspective, the company uh, really has a lot on its plate and, and should be focused on delivering on that mission, on, on the vision in diagnostic point of care and help ultrasound. Uh, that said, we did extensive technical diligence with some of the foremost experts in the ultrasound industry to evaluate the potential of the technology, and it's clear just by virtue of inbound interest from a variety of potential partners that there's um, real interest in in exploring other uses of the the chip-based PMUT technology. Um, So I think it's an inevitability that they will further execute on that strategy to um, either partner with uh, outside companies or innovators in the bioelectronic realm as well as with potential partners in, in other industries for again, uh, interventional uh, device technologies, you know whether that's you know, endoscopic procedures that are looking to have better imaging on board or surgical robotics also similarly to help improve the, the, the imaging at the point of intervention and at the point of surgical access. So those are things that I think with time will come and, and we'll evaluate whether how much is done in-house, how much is done as a partnership.
0: So did the interest in, in the bioelectronic applications precede your interest in, in the company? That was always part of their plan or is there is that potential being emphasized because of the interest from GSK and other investors who are interested in, in that kind of application?
4: No, they they had been interested in uh, this space already in, in neuromodulation and bioelectronic medicines. They had been tracking uh, a lot of interesting publications that have been you know come out of Nature uh, and some other you know prominent journals. Some of their advisors uh, had experience in that. Uh, regard. For instance, I know GE and Medtronic have published on or been part of publications uh, in some early proof of principle work. So there has been some noise out there that this could be an emerging field. And so their advisors had been, you know, putting that in front of them. You know, this founding team is terrific, just some of the best that I've uh, seen in the in, in the industry and they've worked together you know serially in the past and so yeah they they saw that opportunity and and had really been beginning to form thoughts there and and, and beginning to take some action so we certainly helped uh, fuel that and and you know again it, it's something that the company will continue to pursue but right now laser focused on you know the first commercial launch here and deployment into hospitals and emergency rooms around the, the country and hopefully increasing access to ultrasound around the world.
0: So it seems like a great avenue for a, for a bioelectronics application to sort of be able to build a business and get into the hospitals through other means as well, because bioelectronics is still emerging. You've been, you've been following the bioelectronics field for, for several years, as you mentioned, since Action Potential started up. I know we've talked about it several times. And last week, we got an update from Renee Ryan, the CEO of CaliHealth, uh, on what they're up to. What's your overall sense of, of the evolution of uh, bioelectronics? Where are we, if I may pull up my tired and true baseball metaphor, what inning are we in and sort of the development and adoption of, of bioelectronics?
4: Yeah, no, Thank. I, I'll have to think about the baseball analogy. I don't think we're quite at the seventh inning stretch. But, um, you know, I feel that there the, the progress that's been made across a variety of, you know, approaches to bioelectronic medicines, whether they be implantable with traditional uh, devices and systems, canon lead systems that are de-risking and validating new clinical targets. I think CVRX is a great example uh, of that for heart failure or new companies developing microstimulators um, that are really tailored nicely for the patient population, but they're going after such as Setpoint Medical for rheumatoid arthritis with a microstimulator for vagus nerve stimulation or Nuspera Medical with a injectable sacral nerve stimulation therapy you know, that's externally powered. Uh, that those are those are advancing. There's also, as you pointed out, Calahealth Health and what the team there has done with transcutaneous stimulation for essentially, or sorry, for essential tremor as a first indication. You know, we are seeing, we're just really encouraged by the breadth of innovation and the way that the community has sort of uh, continued to push the boundaries and the definitions of what is a bioelectronic medicine. Importantly, you know, companies that have been somewhat later stage, have done really well in commercial activities and having gone public are being rewarded for that, such as Exonics, Inspire, uh, Nevro. Um, there are, you know, we view the success of medical device IPOs. Uh, has been a, a huge part of that has been the neuromodulation industry and these frontline um, for early, early generation, I should say, uh, by electronic medicines. So I would say we are starting to see what five, six years ago was a long term vision, we're seeing it continue to play out, frankly, better than I had uh, expected across, you know, the entire medical device industry. And geographically, also globally, uh, seeing a lot of innovation in Europe, in Australia, um, in, in some select areas of, of uh, Asia. So, to, you know, we couldn't be happier with the actual uh, evolution of, of this category. And I don't think it's going anywhere. I mean, you believe in the research and the learnings that will continue to come uh, from brain research that's funded by government sources and has, has really advanced the knowledge there over the last decade. Um, those are translating directly into this field and opening up a variety of new opportunities. And I'm still learning daily. Uh, I don't think anyone uh, in this field isn't. So it keeps it fun, it keeps it exciting. I think the promise is only greater uh, than it's ever been. And, you know, we love seeing tech companies, we love seeing, you know, pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies all sort of putting their heads together and their dollars together to this category of reality, whether they're driven by the therapies or they're driven by the data that's generated. You know, it's all being enabled by the technology push uh, from the tech industry and, and uh, consumer electronics and other fields. So, um, it's really exciting time, I think.
0: Excellent. And just final question, kind of off topic from both uh, Action Potential and Echo. Uh, you're a founding board mem- member of uh, Latinx VC. You founded that last year. What's its mission and what have you been able to do over, over the, the past year and a half?
4: Yeah, we're, well, I'm really excited about uh, Latinx VC and my co-founding board members and I work are working diligently to bring a nonprofit forward that that really Raises the conversation and 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 essentially drives the representation, the upward career progression, the ability to write checks by Latino Latina venture capitalists as one segment of the industry that's been sorely underrepresented. You know, not just at the, in, within the venture capital funds that we work at, but also amongst the executive teams and leadership teams of our portfolio companies in healthcare and life sciences. Um, and I think that obviously that this year as have the last you know frankly four years this this question of you know are we doing enough as an industry to address sort of first acknowledge the disparity in representation amongst partnership partners and investing partners at various venture capital funds, uh, the number of new funds and emerging managers that are getting funded by LPs um, that are of a uh, Latino or Hispanic background. You know, the same is true with Black VC, which is an organization mm-hmm. that really inspired uh, our forming Latinx VC, and who uh, we collaborate with closely. R- really fundamentally, we, we view ourselves as a piece of a bigger um, effort to, to again, bring this to the this topic of conversation, help o- allow... Aspiring investors from a Latino Latino background to find mentors and learn ways in which to break into the industry, which is infamously challenging to break into, despite you know no matter what your background is, it's a very opaque sort of cottage industry that's driven in large part by you know sort of apprenticeship model and which favors you know those that look and and, and act and come from similar places to people in decision making places within. Current venture funds, which which you know makes it exceptionally difficult for for minorities who are trying to enter the field. So that's our overall uh, goal. We have some metrics that we are trying to uh, increase the percentage of uh, Latino Latina investors in the industry um, over the course of the next five and ten years. It's it's sort of in the one to two percent range as as we speak, and I think we think we can do a whole lot better. So that that was the the intent you know we're getting a lot of support um and i think it's it's just the beginning but certainly more to report on hopefully over time
0: excellent no it's a great effort and if we can ever be of assistance uh you know where to find us where can uh, where can folks find you i've I actually haven't asked this question on the podcast before but i should you're on social media you're out there uh, where are you on Twitter? How can we find you on LinkedIn?
4: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So on LinkedIn, my handle there is JP Moss, and on Twitter, I think my handle is Juan Pablo Moss, all one word. LinkedIn and Twitter are the are the two best places to to hear what we're doing at our uh, at our companies, at our firm, and uh, even career opportunities. Increasingly, um, we're posting opportunities on social media and increasingly with Latinx VCs as well. Uh, we have at Latinx VC for both LinkedIn and, and Twitter. So those are uh, sources for venture opportunities as well as uh operating opportunities at our companies
0: well, i'm glad we have that info out there and i'm glad you're uh, you're physically well i hope you get back home uh, home quickly safe and sound thanks for joining us
4: thank you tom i appreciate the kind wishes there and uh, I, I too hope we get home soon and, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about you know what we're doing at action potential
0: all right well it was great to reconnect with juan pablo mas and now here we are The big number one hasn't been numbers five through two. So I'm willing to wager. Maybe it rhymes with rabbit, something like that.
2: Yeah, you got that right.
0: (laughs) Abbott, not only one of the best
2: workplaces for innovators as we saw number two, but, uh, They won uh, emergency use authorization for their COVID-19 test card, the Binax Now AG card, which is an antigen test for the virus that can be read directly off the testing card. Basically, they compared it to, it's similar to the technology used in some pregnancy tests. They also developed an accompanying app, which would serve as some sort of almost mobile passport that would prove that you have tested negative, uh, should you test negative or positive, um, which I think will eventually be pretty crucial if, any events, sporting events, conventions are are to return. Uh, the company said they're going to ship tens of millions of tests in September, and then ramp up to fifty million tests a month at the start of October. And they're going to be five dollars a piece.
0: So will we be uh, sharing screenshots of our proof? No, we won't be doing that. That would be no. <laughs> I'm sure there's a safeguard against that, but that's really that's really critical. And as uh, someone with a kid looking to get back to high school pretty soon, it'll be nice to have. Uh, have a, uh, another level of, I guess, of, of sur- surety that uh, that people are uh, are healthy. So uh, hopefully it uh, will make a real impact. And, and Chris, again, not doing a very good job of taking time off, sent me an email uh, just a bit ago saying that uh, Abbott stock is up 9%. This is as of Thursday afternoon. On the news, and this is really the kind of news that uh, I think is, is getting a lot of attention. I've had a couple of friends who are not in medtech Men, Mentioned that that test as, as being a big deal on their lives. So I hope this is uh something that can again restore some normalcy and, and you know maybe help people get together. I don't know, Chris, what would you like oh God, I miss Chris so much. <laughs> I don't know, Sean and Danielle, what would you like to do, uh, the first opportunity you get to get back into uh into a crowded space? Uh well if the Red Sox
2: were any good, maybe that, but
0: <laughs> good point.
2: Any any anything at this point been so deprived of uh the feeling of being in a crowd, but you know, I, I do, I do hope that this ends up serving uh, the greater good and helping get back to whatever normal might be.
0: Amen. And, and Danielle, any, uh, anything you want to do when we got out of this jail?
1: Yeah. I want to peruse the aisles of Trader Joe's leisurely. <laughs> <laughs> without feeling rushed
0: (laughs) (laughs) lady you've been in here for like four hours now (laughs) you gotta go oh but i missed it so much (laughs) that's a good one all right great well that's uh that's a wrap great job guys uh as i've always end these these podcasts we we like to let folks know how they can find us i'm on twitter i am at medtech you can also find me on linkedin under tom salemi danielle where are you on the uh the social media channels
1: on Twitter, I'm at Danielle underscore Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H. And same on LinkedIn, Danielle Kirsch.
0: Excellent. And Sean, where can we find you? On Twitter,
2: I am Sean, S-E-A-N, Hooli, W-H-O-O-L-E-Y, W-T-W-H. That's my Twitter handle. And then on LinkedIn, Sean Hooley uh, You can reach me there as well.
0: Excellent. Great. Well, folks should definitely connect with you. You guys are generating some really great content on Mass Device, and that's the, the quickest way to find it, I think. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly podcast. If you could share it, that would be a great help. If you could tell your colleagues about it, that would be a great help. If you could subscribe to make sure you get these podcasts as soon as they come out, that's always a great thing, too. A lot of people listen to this the, the day or next, the second day it comes out. So uh, you shouldn't wait. You should subscribe and get the podcast sent to you as immediately as possible, as soon as possible, I should say. And uh, thanks again for joining us on this week's Device Talks Weekly Podcast.